You're listening to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and strengthened as you listen to this week's message. You're in for a treat this morning. You know, sometimes Johnny talked about when you become very familiar with people. I don't know why it is, but sometimes you, you lose the value. Ever notice, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you, you don't value your wife, you don't value your kids. Um, but we need to learn to honor and value one another, even though we see each other all the time or however often those that you love. It's a, it's a good thing to value people. And this morning, uh, I want to introduce somebody to you that you might know, you might not know, but I can tell you that Dick O'Reilly is an awesome guy. Awesome guy. Now, I got I to gotta be really honest with you. I don't know why, but whenever I think of the O'Reillys, I always say Chris and Dick. Chris is, Chris is amazing. If you don't know Chris and Dick O'Reilly, <laughs> Dick and Chris. But the O'Reilly family has been, if, if you don't know them, they've been part of the greater Rochester body of Christ for a long time. And they've been very influential. When you know people who've known the Lord for 40 years, they're still looking for that burning bush. You know what I mean? They're just, they're, they're still looking. They're still seeking the Lord. Uh, Dick got saved in Brockport uh, through Gary Pfeiffer's ministry, which is really kind of neat because Gary planted this church. Him and his, uh, Dick and Chris, I thought this was kind of neat. They, they were teenage sweethearts and they got married in 1975. Isn't that neat when you meet people and they've been in love for that long and They've persevered, they've endured, they've raised six children, which is an awesome, that should get a clap right there, six children. They have two grandchildren, and the thing I liked about Dick was, if, if you knew Dick years before, you know, people work and they do th- different things, and how many people go, to, go back to college at almost 40 years old? It's very unusual. And he had a, right, Grace goes there all the time, I mean, go, goes to college. And Dick earned degrees and master's degrees, both in secondary education and administration. He's taught in the public school system for 20 years. These are just accolades that sometimes you forget to honor those that are right under your nose. He's been, uh, been used in track and field and coached high school and college level uh, track and field. If one of the things I love about Dick is if you had never done this on a summer day, we, gotta, we, we really got to do this this year. We gotta get a summer day when the stars are in full bloom and bring the telescope out. We could have a party outside at night. And uh, it's quite fascinating hearing him talk about the stars. Because all I know, I know that the moon's out there. That's what I know. <laughs> I know. It's, pretty, it's a pretty obvious, it's a big one, but there's the moon. That's, but it's, it's spectacular. And the last thing I wanna close with, this goes to the O'Reilly family. Uh, we've got to know them, our kids grew up together. Stephen's here this morning, uh, one of the boys. He's an awesome young guy. But the O'Reilly, what the Lord showed me as I was preparing for today was the deposit that God puts into people. There's a deposit in the O'Reilly family that's very valuable. You know, we, we look around and we flock to, uh, you know, the men and women of God, and they're good. It's good stuff. You know, we love certain speakers, and we'd pay $500 to go to a weekend and then sometimes right under your nose, there's value, and there's giftings, and there's blessings, and there's a, there's a Jesus and Dick that you're going to hear today. Um, so I really want you to give Dick a warm welcome, as if you never heard him, and I want you to open your hearts to hear him. 
and what the Lord is going to release through him today. So give Dick O'Reilly a big hand as he comes up. Dick, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Boy, that was good. That was good. Let's see if the sound is. Can you hear me? Okay. Oh, there it is. Okay. You know, I'm speaking out of John today because John is, talks about the compassion of Jesus, and I was so appreciative of John or Johnny who was up here, and he mentioned it about stewarding. You know, what you need will be brought to you. You know, when you know Christ, right? He doesn't send his, you know, beloved out begging for bread. But there's realms made available to those that would steward the grace of God that he has so given to you in your lives. And part of that today, my prayer through the passion of Christ who is here, he who has set us free is here among us today to continue to open us up and to see. Because Jesus is a God of compassion, which means it's in action. So compassion is action. And... Uh, a couple little things I wanted to say first, but really, I appreciate being here. I came here 26 years ago. About eight or nine years ago, we went out to some of the different regional churches and had some wonderful experience and connected with a lot of folks. And it's given us an opportunity to hear what the Spirit of God is doing in the area. Uh, when you get out there, you begin to get ears to hear because it's the same Spirit. If you hear it from Australia or you hear it from China or you hear it from uh, wherever, um, you realize that we do have a God of compassion who is invested himself in the saints. And as time has gone on, that investment, God has wanted to continue to, to pour out his spirit on. He's poured out his spirit on all flesh, but you know what? The flesh is the spirit of God poured through us out to the world out there. And so today I believe that God wants to do some business, some very important business. But first I want to say it is such a pleasure being with the Bride of Christ. This is a precious thing that's taken place. So one thing as I prepared for this, I just sat there and here's a swimming pool here. I have a, a little cheap hot tub that I sit in sometimes and I just look up and I say, oh God, you know, what is it like just to bathe in you? And I realize is that the Lord is raising a child and he's raising then a daughter and then he's raising a place to where there's a bride. And I have even in our midst today, today I have to use the word midst, my gosh, a good friend of mine always used that, and I made fun of him. And now I'm saying it, too. <clears throat> we all love David Myers, right? Saying this, so. Always in the midst. You know, it's interesting because I look into my granddaughter, and Jesus with compassion says, he took a little child, and he speaks about the kingdom, and we cannot enter into that kingdom unless we be as a little child. And he goes down, and he keeps his child, and he begins to talk some, some kingdom principles. This is in Matthew 18. And when my granddaughter was born, I remember only being a week old, and I looked into her eyes, and she always had this amazing glare. Right from the very beginning, she was always looking. But when you look into a child's eyes, there's nothing but purity there. It said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See. A lot about seeing today, okay? And I looked into her eyes, and then there was a reflection. You know, and it says in Matthew 18, I think it's verse 10 somewhere there. This is just before I start. I wanted to say this because it was so important. As you look into the eyes, you see, you can almost smell the glory of heaven. You can almost see, it says, and remember, it says, each one of these, don't offend one of these, because it says, their angels are gazing up at my Father in heaven. And I could look into her eyes, and it just was just so pure. But as anyway, as we grow, even as that child grow, we grow, and so we're going to grow up into the bride of Christ. But even though, yet, at this particular point, we have not fully come to that, God is still doing work. And the bride is making herself ready because of what the Spirit of God is doing, but also 
we put on robes of righteousness by the very acts that we do. Isn't that true? So, if we're not quite at that point, we haven't quite had the marriage feast yet, and there's a betrothal taking place in heaven, and the bride's going to be coming up, okay, and is going to be raising up, that would make, in the meantime, that we're kind of like the girlfriend of God. (laughs) So, before we go any further, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, Hey, girlfriend. Some of the guys are back there going like this, you know. Okay. I guess it's time to start. Okay. So I guess. <laughs> you know, the message, the message is what's that? <laughs> the message is not in the teaching. The message is in your response that you might be brought into the intimacy of God. Because when you come into that place in intimacy with God, things begin to look different. Things begin, you see one another different. You begin to walk up into who you are in Christ, and there's a confidence. And today, when I was looking at this theme idea of the Pool of Bethesda, someone said, you got to read the book by Chris Valentin out there that talks about heavy rain. And then he's sitting there in the second chapter of the book talking in a meeting, and he wants to speak about it. And the Holy Spirit said, wait a minute, i got something newer for you. He says, but Lord, it's very important. He says, the Pool of Bethesda is a place. He says, yes, what I want to speak to you and eventually take you to Ezekiel's River. So I said, oh, Lord. I said, here I am getting prepared for this thing, and it's, you know, that's old stuff. Well, in Hebrews 6, it says we only move on to perfection if God permits. Sometimes we have to lay the foundations. Sometimes the Lord in his compassion, before he takes us on to a place, says, listen, you know what? I'd like to take some of you on, but there's a few others I want to bring along with you. And not only do I want to bring a few others, I want you to come as a bride. I want you to come as a body who is able to speak the truth to one another so that you can grow up in love. And in that, I'll prepare a habitation for myself that I might be able to display my glories in this day and age for the glory of God. Man, is man truly alive? Is woman truly alive? And you know what? The world's waiting for us. Even creation is standing on tiptoes, waiting yeah. for the coming forth. So today, when we go through this, understand that Jesus in his compassion <clears throat> and what he has done on the cross and his creativity is to bring us into a place that that we're able to embrace him even in our midst. So I'm going to read for you here. This is going to be, and this is before I get going here, I want to read. Uh, this isn't John, if people want to follow along with it. I'm going to read it quickly. I was going to put it up, but it, was, it would have taken a little bit too long. You're familiar with this passage. This is in John, the Gospel of John. And as you're turning to the Gospel of John, it's going to be uh, chapter 5, verse 2. John, he was speaking about a heritage here where the Spirit of God came, and it was an amazing place. Since that time, we've had some burnout but about, I'm going to say 22 years ago, does anybody remember Bob Puzio? And there was a home group in the city, and we decided to do a study on the heritage, the spiritual heritage of the city. And there was a man about 18, uh, we started somewhere, Nathaniel Rochester donated a plot of land, you know, and then it was Ebenezer and all these different peoples, and the grist mill, and it became Rochesterville. And then finally the Erie Canal opened up, and it was a boom town overnight. It grew from 8,000 to 40,000 in a couple of years, and it was, it was amazing. McCormick Reaper was produced here in Brockport, and it was incredible history. But as we look back at that history, what we found out after a short time, this was after um, Finney had come, that certain industries began to build, certain innovations came up. We had Edison, we had electric light, <clears throat> we had the camera, we had all these amazing things. Bausch and Lam came in, which was very instrumental in all kinds of, of, from microscopes to optics to all kinds of things. And eventually, xenography in the 50s, and so we had Xerox. And what we began to determine, what God's heritage in this area was, that Rochester 
as a city of light. We're not just a city of light. We're walking in a heritage, and God is he's going to have our eyes to open yeah. up today. This is what I believe. So I wanted to say some of those things as we got ready to read. I'm just going to go through this pretty quickly and uh, get this read for us here. It says, now, this is in verse 2. I love the first word, now. Not then, not future, but today, now. Okay, because this word is a now word. It says, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. In the original King James it says, withered. Waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. When, uh, when whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatsoever, okay, whatever disease that they had. Now a certain man was there who had had an infirmity 38 years. <clears throat> Jesus saw him laying there, and he knew that he was already had been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down in before me. And Jesus said to him, well, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, <clears throat> took up his bed, and walked. And the day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said to him, uh, who was cured, it said, uh, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. They didn't even look at the sickness. They didn't look at the cure. They just looked at the bed, right, and said, what's this going on? Okay. He answered them, uh, who is made well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Didn't quite seem to know at the moment. And said, but the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn uh, a multitude being around in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing will come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus, Jesus who had made him well. So, I'm going to move on with this. We've got the text. That's it. Off come my glasses. All right, so that's it. We can move on. Someone said this sometimes works. <laughs> there we go. It's okay. Uh-oh, it's fading in. Come on. There it is. Okay. Someone just to be perseverant. Again, just at the beginning, now. So this is the time now, and there's five, five different porches. Some people have said that five represents grace. Five, uh, some have said five represents five-fold ministry. In this particular case, if I pick the one with five-fold ministry, I said that this passage, being compassion, is more in the pastoral. Where when this is done, you move on to a past this particular point, the movement of Ezekiel, we're talking about apostolic because we get in the river and we go and we move out with the compassion of Christ on us because he has risen us up out of the pool and taken us to, big, to bigger places. So there is an upgrade coming, but he's starting at this particular point. Is it coming? <laughs> there it is, okay. Okay, again, it says, it, says, it says there lay a great number of sick. They're blind, lame, paralyzed, Blaine Halt water, uh, withered in the King James. They're waiting for the move of the water. So here they're all laying. You get the scenario. They're all laying around. Okay. I've stepped down and I look around me and here's a pool. And there's folks that have been there. They've been let down. They're laying down and are waiting to get down. Sounds like a downer, but, you know, this is kind of more people can laugh than Ralph. Anything. All right, moving on. 
Now, there's three types of infirmity they're showing. Of course, the first one we're taking a look at, there's a person with a stick, okay? You can't see it, but there's a wheelchair in between. It's just the color contrast is not working, but you get the idea. Blind having eyes, but not seeing. Whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Now, it's important that, we, that this thing, blindness, was put first. Because even in the garden, when people were created with innocence, and God had a marvelous plan, as the enemy came in to tempt Eve, and she began to look and listen, and he played upon her insecurity, he played it on her inferiority. And it says, uh, later on in the Bible, it says, I would not have, Paul says, I'm jealous over you, I would not have you to be deceived, as Eve was, that she was taken away from simplicity of devotion. And so after he had explained the whole thing to her, she looked and she what? Saw that the fruit was good, wasn't it? It's amazing, he hit her in the eyes first. In the eyes. Because once a person begins to not see, they begin to be distracted. When they move away, no longer are they in a position of belief. And just as the children of Israel, God had a marvelous plan, and he's not going to take back his gift and his plan, his inheritance for them, because of their unbelief, their evil heart of unbelief, they didn't enter into the land because he allowed them in their unbelief to reap the, the consequences, which was blindness. So no longer could they see. Are you making a connection? I'm trusting that the Spirit of God is talking to all of us in this particular situation. Now that you can't see, you move on. Lame, halt, having legs but unable to walk or progress. That's the next step. When I can't see clearly, where am I going to go? I'm going to bump into something, you know, and it's, it's, I'm going to trip. I can't really see my path that's set before me. And that's how I need to walk, is an ability to be able to see. And it says in this days that what? That we look around and we study, we walk circumspectly, redeeming the time. So if we're going to walk in redemption, we have to be able to see that we're able to walk. Otherwise, we come into a place, I guess we're both in this, that there's paralyzation, okay? Something stymies, something begins to wither. I remember a story one time of someone talking. I think it was Sylvia Evans, and she was mentioning something about someone on the street where, in the old days, they used to have these washing machines, and they had a roller, and some child playing near that, and the mother looking the other way for something else, got his hand, and, and it pulled it all the way up to the arm, and it destroyed the nerves and the muscle tissues, and that poor child had a hand that was lame, couldn't go anywhere, withered, could not progress, could not reach potential. This is the end result of blindness, not being able to see and not being able to walk. So here's the situation. So as we move on, he said, just be patient. I said, don't keep hitting it. <laughs> oh, come on again. Traumatization. Let's talk about trauma just for a moment. In trauma, trauma is not necessarily physically inflicted, but may occur in any set of events where there is emotional, psychological, spiritually overwhelmed due to the threatening circumstances, or even through others' words. Come on, our words, they can be life. There's power and death in the tongue. And so many times the baggage that we carry is by what other people have spoke to us. This is a place I'll share a little testimony because uh, it's important to do that. When I accepted the Lord 40 years ago, and I'm glad he said 40 years ago, I've been looking for the burning bush now for a month. You know, if anybody sees that burning bush, let me know because, well, now i got to go and face Pharaoh, so I don't know about that, but... We'll see, you know, otherwise. <laughs> so anyway, my time has come. I'm in trouble now. That's neat. That's good trouble, though, isn't it? Huh? See the power of God resting upon you? Wow. You know, well, I'm not going to go on with that. Let me just move on with this. <laughs> you know, get sidetracked on that. It's a good thing that happened with that whole scenario. 
with Moses. <clears throat> but you know, there was a time when I accepted Christ, and I was so excited. I wanted to go tell my mother. She had grown up in a church. My aunt was a minister. My father's side of the family, uh, their religion was more of a, what they call a recessive trait in biology. It didn't always manifest itself. And we kind of <laughs> grown up in that situation. Just, I, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on some toes, but I'm talking about my big feet here in this situation. There used to be a clothing store called Casual Classics. Well, we were casual Catholics, okay? And uh, that's kind of the way it was, but anyway. But uh, So praise God. Back in the situation, so I accepted the Lord, and I'd come home, and I told my mother about things, and I'd quit my job for the summertime. I was a lifeguard, and I felt that I needed to come straighten out a few things. And so before I went back for the summertime to get discipled by Mr. Pfeiffer, um, <laughs> good summer. Um, but I remember my mother said, it's going down, your father's down at the such and such restaurant, he's down there waiting for you. So I sat up, my dad says, you should want a beer or something or a Coke? I said, I'll have a Coke, Dad. He says, uh, so he says, tell me about JC there. Tell me a little bit about JC. I heard of some things that were going on. JC, yeah. <laughs> well, Dad, I don't know. I was, and I gave him a quick testimony, and I told him, I said, that I guess I've been looking for meaning and truth, you know, I'm trying to get philosophical, I'm looking for stuff, but I said, wham, I ran into these people, they just smiled at one another all the time. I just looked at them and I could see them giving testimony and, and, and sharing things with one. I tried not to keep the Christianese, but I just, something that was genuine was coming out of me, and my dad just kind of sat there and he looked and he looked forward and he goes, you know, I grew up as an altar boy, I did this, I did that, you know. He says, but I don't know the last time I ever really ever prayed, personal relationship. He goes, I think what it was. See, I'm the oldest of a family of nine. And he goes, you know, when I found out your mother was pregnant, see, I was conceived out of wedlock. I was conceived out of wedlock. And uh, someone even showed me the Bible one time where there's things that don't always follow very well after someone conceived out of wedlock. But praise be to God that he became a curse on the tree. And anything that was there to take away what was in me and take away what was new was dealt with. And now there's new life in Christ that we can rise and walk in fullness. I didn't say that quite to my father like I said it this night. <laughs> that mouthful right there. But you know, something hit me. He said, you know, well, he says, I think the last time I prayed, I just prayed that, that your mother wasn't pregnant. I said, oh God, if she just wasn't pregnant. Now, I want you to ask a question, because I've bared my heart in this situation. You don't have to answer out loud. Do you think that that could have an effect when even your natural father, who God has given for you to pass through and come even to this earth to fulfill the purposes of God, but comes to your natural father, do you think that there's something that follows after and can stay attached? You know the story of Jabez, how it caused the mother pain in birth, so she put a name on him. And that name bound him up. It kept him. In fact, it says, oh Lord. He goes to the Lord and says, I don't want to be a pain. It says, I am bound. My boundaries are set before me. And what I'm asking you, Lord, is that would you break those boundaries and change yeah. the name? Because this is not my heritage. This is not who I am. And in the book of Chronicles, all well, this is names. That little story of Jabez comes in. And it became a testimony of me because you know what? The Lord broke my boundaries. Amen. Didn't he, huh? Yeah. Because, That's good. Praise God. Because you know what he did? This is where he broke the boundaries. When he went down to hell, yeah. right, and he was in there three days, it says, and he took the captives, captives, and while he was down there, he walked up to the devil and said, you know, it's getting about time for me to leave. And he goes, I want the key. And the devil reaches in his pocket and says, nah, nah, here's the key. And he said, no, 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 no. 
He says, I don't want just a key for me. I want Dick O'Reilly's key. I want Ralph's key. Okay. I want over here. I want John's key. I want your key. He says, I want all of them. Yeah. Okay? All right. Okay, so here we're back here at the, uh, the pool again, okay? It's where I met my, <laughs> my wife in the swimming pool. Thank you for telling that story. She walked out one day, and I was the lifeguard, and she saw me going off the diving board and said, oh, my, what form? Six kids later, here we are, so. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, I guess the swimming pool's been part of my life, but anyway. Oh, she was swimming. She was swimming, and a few years ago, she won all these medals. She's amazing. It's another story. So here's these people laying in wait. Now, the original word for wait is actually want. These are people laying in want. Do you know what it's like to sit around and want and feel that things are not balanced and they're not fair? Well, these are these people, and they just hang around, hang around, hang around. There they are, all catching some Zs, and they're all waiting for an angel. They're waiting around for what? For an angel, something to stir, okay? And here they wait, and they wait for years and years and years. Where's that angel? Anyway, out oh, there comes that angel. All right, I know it's there somewhere. Okay. Those who lay about were impotent, okay? I didn't say important. <laughs> Not having the power to reach their potential or the power to become. See, it's as many as received him, he gives you what? The power to become. Okay, and so again, we are birthed into Christ, but you know what? It's not so much about us going to heaven. That's good. It's about heaven coming to earth through us. So there's more than just laying around and wait, okay? You know, it's a little bit interesting here. Some texts will actually say a commentary, and I read a little of commentaries just to see, you know. It didn't really change the message, but there's a few side interests. Some say that there was verse in there. That should be that second half of verse 3 through verse 4 is may have been added later on, after 70 A.D., after the book, perhaps, of John was written. And it was kind of a in-your-face to some of the cults that were there that were trying to do healing and prove they had power. So they tried to really assign the fact that there was an angel going on here. That's not necessarily the case. Some have even said, you know what, when it's in a stagnant pool that's like there, every once in a while the springs, fresh from underground, bring minerals. And when they got into the water, even if someone had some psychosomatic or they were kind of in a neurotic type situation, just the idea that something may be better could be healing. Or maybe their bones or arthritic things felt better when some of the spring water came in. That's not the point so much. It's the next thing that really begins to bring us into what it is. So let me hit that. Beth- uh, Bethesda, by the way, has two meanings. One of them we obviously realize is um, it's a hospital of hope. It's a house of mercy, which we're supposed to be. Okay, But this can get a little hazy because it also means... It can be also a hospital of despair. Both the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and I'm not going to give you the words, will also give you an idea that it's a place of disgrace and shame. Because that's what was there. There was also healing going on. So in a sense, there's two things. This poses, again, a scenario for us. Do we stay at a place where we are continually absorbed with ourselves, looking for our own needs, self-focused, you know, wondering what's going on, and staying debilitated, or do we allow Jesus and his compassion to come in and say, you know what? It's time for change. It's time for an upgrade. Yeah. So, yeah. Jesus just dropped in. Any Kenny Rogers fans here from way back? <laughs> Anyone? You remember the song? I said I wasn't going to do this, and I saw myself, and I said, no. That's what I said. He had a song way back, and I'm not going to. I had the words. I'm not even going to show them. It, just, it talked about a scenario, and even on the old YouTube, he's laying there in a bed and singing a song, and his backup group is behind him. And it goes, 
I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Well, Jesus comes by and he what? He just drops in to see what condition is condition, your condition is, is, is in. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. And it says that Jesus showed upon the scene and he sees the man, which we're going to call whosoever. Is there any whosoever's in here? Yes. Come on. It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that what? Ah, we got a lot of whosoever's, don't we? Okay. And he notes his condition, which is whatsoever. We've all got whatsoever. Bring your whatsoever on Tuesday night, by the way, okay? And whosoever brings your whatsoever, don't worry, we'll get you going and whatever, okay? All right? We have a wonderful real time. Real what, I don't know, but you know what? Don't stay away from a healing night because you don't feel good. Yeah. All right? Come on, what condition is your condition in? That's right. Now, Jesus realizes that this guy has been in this situation, okay? So let's see what we got with the next screen here. What condition? Other than 30 years, we're not told of the man's condition. Now, wait a minute. When God doesn't say, when it's something not in the Scripture, sometimes there's a reason why it's not said. Because we're not the focus. We're not the focus. And you're going to see, you know what? Jesus is not focused on what it is. But one thing's very, very interesting, okay? So perhaps for a reason. We'll come back to this thing about 38 years. Consider the number 38. Sometimes we've been talked, we've trained in uh, things about different numbers, different symbols. Sometimes you can study those things. You don't want to get off on it, but it's interesting. We all know what seven is the number of completion, right? Three is what? Fullness of God, the Trinity, God being full. Eight is a number that means new beginnings. New beginnings. Hey, it's 38. Is it, does that mean he's been there a long time and it's a despicable situation? Or is 38 maybe God showing up and it's a new beginning? Ooh, very interesting, isn't it? No. You like that? Actually, I didn't copy that from Bill Johnson. I got that myself. Now, so, someone once said, back when Greek, we're going to talk about Greek here a little bit, tohu bohu. Actually, this is Hebrew. You've got to get one word in Greek or Hebrew, or it's not a, it's not a bona fide message, right? So anyway, it, it's an emptiness. You know, back in the beginning where it says what? In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and... The world, or the world became what? Void, okay? Without form and void. Some people think that was millions of years. If you took a look at geological history, the way that scientists interpret it, 87% of the history of the earth, there was no life on land. And there was, it was dark, it was messed up, it was terrible. And all of a sudden, the last 13%, bingo. There's what's called the Cambrian explosion, and a proliferation of life starts very small and moves up. It's interesting how sometimes the Bible sometimes... People make an observation in science, even though they see dimly. There's some parallels that are very much there. So, Jesus comes into the situation. It's pretty void, tohu bohu. However, he always shows up with an anticipation of a creative event taking place. So, here we go. The Shabbat. Again, for those people that uh, study a little bit of Hebrew, Shabbat means peace, but it's a peace that comes from rest. Rest from what? Ceasing from labors. And I would have you to enter into that rest that you might cease from your labor. As we look to Jesus, who has gone before, he has produced and created the opportunities for life. He's provided everything for your healing. He's provided everything for your emotional wellness. He's provided everything for you to be able to move on and move forward. So here it is. The God has shown up into this situation. He's got this ability uh, to be able to heal. He's the God of creation. And he says, and he looks in the condition, and he just said, will or wilt, okay, well, Greek, would you be healed? Okay. So 
Will or wilt in the Greek is thalo. If it's combined with asking you, it's thalos. Now, it has four levels of expressing desire. When I say, do you wish, you want. So hit the next screen here. It could be meaning something very casual in a sense, a very small, lower level of commitment. It says, do you wish? Do you want? A little stronger. Are you willing? What do you will? See the power and the difference? Do you wish? Do you want it? Are you willing? Hey, do you will? God is looking for desperate hearts. When he does something in someone's life, sometimes he allows them to come to a time and a season where the desperation takes over until you finally cry out, God, you've got to do something about this situation. I can't. He comes in now. Here comes the Shabbat. He comes in. And he shows you his goodness, and he shows you his faithfulness, and his capacity to be able to love you in that very thing that you need compassion and to touch you in that spot. So, which one occurs in the man? Does he wish? Does he want? Is he willing? Does he will? Moving on. He's the funct of will, and what you're seeing right off the bat, the answer is none of the above. The person can't even answer. The man, however, has been captive in his condition through negative reinforcement so long that he is now telling God, it's excuses. He's given him reason to why it's not happening. And here is the very cause of, his, uh, of uh, the very empowerment of being able to heal, who has spoken life and created all the things and the stars set into heaven and, and has given us the heritage we have. Is there in front of him and says, what do you want? He says, he doesn't even answer. His excuse is, you know what, is the nobody, somebody syndrome. Okay, nobody's sitting there. Waiting for somebody is going to be the key. I'm waiting for somebody. Well, they haven't done this. They haven't helped me here. It hasn't done this. They don't do this. They don't do that. I got nobody to help me. It's always somewhere or other, some other situation. Believe me, I, li- I work in a dysfunctional situation where I have seen the fallout of families that have broken, coming to the place where all there is is entitlement. You know, and individually, you can find that these kids that I work with, they're Okay. But once they get into a social, there is such a dynamic that is so debilitated and so brought them into a situation. And we don't only find it there. They're waiting. They're waiting for those to get up from around the pool, right? And to be healed and get up and speak good news to them. Because you know what? There is somebody. And that's the one from above. And he's good news. Amen? Let's move on. So there was deeper issues. The man is situation-focused. He's got every single reason. I got every reason on earth to be man. If I can love the only girl I had. If I could give my way, I'd go and ask them back someday, but I can't, so I'll cry instead. And where did that come from? That was a Beatles song anyway, but this is what the guy's singing this, right? This guy's, I'm sorry. I, you know, it, it says in Timothy, the book of Timothy says, you know what? You ought to be apt to teach. With me, I'm apt to do anything, so I don't say anything. So, so Jesus is what? Solution focused only. He's only solution-focused. He's not going to get into all the petty stuff because only under the blood of Christ does God address our past, and that's for the purpose of repentance. He's not interested, except for the fact, we'll go back, forgive, okay, and recognize that that was not me, that was the sin of the world that was there, and that you let these people go, because if you can do that and you can forgive, then I got something that will more than make up the difference for what it was that you suffered. 
And the testimony is powerful, but I'm not going to take the time for it because that happened with me to a big extent. <sighs> Anyways, God does not abide in our past, but in what? Our present future. And that's why when he speaks a word to you, even a word now, or speaks a prophetic word to you, or blesses you with a promise, that's because he's trying to show you where he wants to lead you, and he wants to bring you on board now. And the decision you make now will be built. Your future will be predicated upon your response. Because when God speaks the word to you, it's conditional, progressive, it's partial. And he wants to speak more. But how are we going to steward that word? Are we going to take that word? Are we going to act and walk on that? Are we going to trust and believe? Are we going to go for help, open up, and ask God to be able to work? You know, if you steward what he gives you, and you listen to what he says, you begin to what? Get better ears to hear. And you get better ability to be able to walk. And all the time, your eyesight is improving, improving, improving. Let's move on. So, as I mentioned in the beginning, these people were let down. They laid down. They were looking to, uh, to get down into the pool. It was quite a downer. So Jesus comes in in this cure. It's a 3D cure. Three Ds going on here, okay? First he says, rise up. Rise up. That's a change in direction. Because everything had been down. Change in direction. Next Take up your bed. This is the change in dependency. And folks, this one is so important. Because that which has carried us or sustained us, you know what? It's time to get up and start to pick up your bed and to be able to contribute and to give back. No longer to compete or to compare, but to be able to complete one another by speaking the truth and love and growing up. Especially some have come along many, many years and have been given an awful lot. It's time now that God took your maturity Okay, and brought it to the next level of mastery. You know what mastery is? It's not the comparing. It's not the competition. It's not the preservation. It's passing on legacy. Because if you die with a song in your throat, I'm sorry, all that you were given kind of just fades away like Hezekiah, who really didn't pay any attention, even after he cried out to God and he gave him 15 more years later, 15 more years to live. He could have repented on behalf of his sons, perhaps, and changed even the destiny of Israel. No. He was just happy to be alive. Okay? Yeah, well, there's more to it than that. So, again, um, now we're to get up. What? To walk. Walk out, which is a change in discipline. Folks, I don't care what deliverance, how God reaches in, what repentance is done, you need to walk in the reality of that. If you do not walk in that and, 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 and uh, have it joined together and connected with discipline, then worse things that come upon us. We can fall back into things. So we're to walk in that which. So ye what? Have been accepted in Christ, accepted him, so walk in him, rooted and established in the faith, and abounding there with thanksgiving. Next one here. So Jesus didn't just speak the word, okay, to the man. He was the word, and he put the rise in the man. He put the rise in the man. That's it, right? Okay? So here he is, okay? And Jesus, whatever he speaks to you today, he wants to be that to you. He doesn't say you need to love. He says, you know what? I'm here to love on you. I'm here to be able to get you out of the self-focus so that you are not, you know, you can't see yourself. You're not happy with yourself. However, at times you go out and you look at other people and you hold them accountable for the fact that they don't see you the way you'd like to see you. Wait a minute. This is nuts. God wants to wash us. He wants to bring us up out of despair. And he wants to have us to move on and to rise up. So he's going to be for you what is needed if you're willing and will steward what he gives you. Okay, moving right down. Restoration. Mm, boy, yeah. I'll take whatever water. I'll jump in the pool myself here, just one second. <laughs> I should open this up. Ah, 
Okay. The power of God was not so much demonstrated in the physical healing, but in the restoration of a defunct will. What the man had come to a place where he wasn't able, his decider was broken. The cider was broken. Couldn't reach out. Couldn't move on. Couldn't progress. But Jesus, as compassion, reaches down. Just like he reaches down to us, all we have to do is, will you? Will you? That's all you got to say. Lord, I stand here. Yes, I will. Okay? Anybody except me Christ? Yes, there's some place we have to make a decision. Okay? And, and with the heart, you believe, and with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's the same activity. Don't say that it's out here. Don't say that it's out here. The word is near you. And all you have to do is confess, will you? And that's the key to the healing in this man. So later Jesus finds the man in the temple and says to him, see, you have been sozoed. Now again, the idea was sozoed. Again, it's more than the idea that just someone's you know, eternal destination has been secured by the fact that they're going to go to heaven. But there's a fullness that's taking place. Remember, God, number three, is there in his fullness to bring a new beginning and to complete so that we do move on even into perfection, move on to maturity so that we can move on. So Jesus points out to the, the man he should go and sin no more, which perhaps is a clue to his downfall. I believe that it was his believer. And I think that we talk about faith and exercising faith. You know what? You don't lose your faith. In Romans where it says, and be not conformed you know, to this world, but the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. The next verse is important. It says, and don't think yourself above what you ought, in other words, think about what you are. Get God's view towards you. And it says, because to every person is given the measure of faith. What it is is our, our will. We stop choosing. And when we do that, blindness, okay, then it affects our ability to walk, okay, and it just goes on and on from there. So, now the man, okay, restored, departs, and he proclaims Jesus as the one who's made whole. He's gotten out of the pool of Bethesda, and we're coming to the conclusion of this. And this is what we see take place. This is the challenge that sits before us today. Get saved, get healed, get restored, get sozoed, okay? Because then go on out and you're going to stir some water, okay? You're going to be the fresh brook, fresh stream that brings out and out of the pool you go. And now finally, we come on out. In other words, get out of the pool and get into Ezekiel's river. Yeah, yeah. What I want to do now is, um, in conclusion, I'm going to have my, my dear wife come up and she's going to, She's going to sing a song of invitation and a song that addresses some of those things that God has spoken today to us. And in that, there's an opportunity of response. And we'll kind of move from there because I'm moving out of the light back up on the keyboard. And uh, I'm going to let my wife take it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, so you, Lord. Much. So the message is us. The message is us saying, yes, I will. Yes, I want what you have for me, God. And we're going to ask you to demonstrate that by stepping out, stepping into your future and out of your past, because the Spirit of God is tohu-bohuing over us here today. There's people here who have been defined in their identity by words spoken over them from the past. God's coming in today and he's saying, my blood is breaking away and washing away the sin against you and my body broken for you is destroying the power 
of your response to that and your memory of that. He's saying, I'm showing you who you are by what my son did. He's also breaking the power of generational illnesses, things that have been spoken into your family. I want you to step, come on up to the front as we minister this song, if any of these things are you. He's also causing his body and his bride to discern herself correctly. Not after the flesh, not after the familiar, but to have his eyes, to see past the externals, but into the treasure that each of us are so we can stand corporately. And this is a song. This is God and his own heart singing over you, telling you who you are. So here and come on up, and we can even have our prayer teams kind of come among us and be waiting for God to move. I challenge you to say, yes, I will, Jesus. I will come along and be who heaven says I am. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter where you've been. Hear me tell you, I forgive. You're not guilty anymore. You're not guilty anymore. You're not filthy anymore. Cleansing deeper than you know. <laughs> All was paid for long ago. You're not guilty anymore. You're not guilty anymore. You're not filthy anymore. You're not filthy anymore. You mercy is yours. You're not broken anymore. You're not captive anymore. I love you. Mercy is yours. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Jesus, you're not guilty, guilty anymore. You're not guilty anymore. You're not filthy anymore. You're not guilty anymore. I love you. Mercy is yours. You're not broken anymore. You're not captive anymore. I love you. Mercy is yours. spotless 
faultless. This is who you are. You are whole. You are righteous. You are blameless. You are pardoned. You are mine. You're not guilty anymore. You're not guilty anymore. You're not filthy anymore. You're not filthy anymore.